The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 2, from verse 25 to verse 38. Just before I read, I just ask God to bless Joel as he brings his message to us. Father God, we thank you that we can read your word freely, that we can meet together and give you praise and thanks. And Lord, I pray now as Joel brings your message to us that you will bless him and uh, the words that he speaks, Lord, that your spirit would speak through him to each one of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2 from verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at that what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Thank you. Alrighty. Morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you ready? Turn to the other person, your second choice, ask them, are you waiting? The, uh, a little bit, I guess, God's irony and sense of humor, I'm sitting there about to preach on a sermon on waiting, and I'm sitting there twitching, waiting, and I know, God's good, he just subtly reminded my heart that we don't endure these things, we enjoy these things. And not to complain about a church where there's plenty of activity. 
there's things happening, there's kids at the back, there's Cavell updates, there's Hope Builder stuff, there's kids messages, like, how good. Let's celebrate those things and let's dive into God's word this morning. Um, you know, we've been talking over the last few weeks about waiting and this morning I want to really focus on this story on about how we wait faithfully for Jesus. Um, because the reality is waiting can be tough, like we saw with Scott, with the kids, and I'm sure you can look at your own life. And as we see, um, you know, Andrew last week, he talked about, you know, how the Israelites, they waited like there's 400 years, roughly, between the end of the prophetic voices and then Jesus' arrival. 400, like that's generation after generation who got no pr- prophet who came and said, oh, the Messiah's coming, or look for this, or like, they just had to wait. That's not always easy. And so this morning we want to look at how do we wait faithfully um, and that, recognizing how key that is for our life, how key it is for us to learn how to wait, how to persevere, how to endure. Because the sad thing is, is I see many, many people who are waiting unfaithfully, many people who can't wait and who give up, people who drift away, people who go searching for the things of this world when they should be waiting for the things of God. And so many who sort of just can't hold on. And so this morning as we look at this story in Luke, and um, we look at particularly Simeon and Anna, these characters that almost represent a people and a part of Israel who waited faithfully. They're people who are ready when Jesus comes. They're people who have been waiting for the redemption and then they see it and they're rewarded for it. And so I want to look at two things this morning. Firstly, what are you waiting for? And then secondly, looking at how do we wait faithfully? Got that? First thing, what are we waiting for? Second, how do we wait? So I believe that there's a very clear sense, firstly, that we are all waiting for something. We are all waiting for something. Uh, If you think back to the first week where Andrew talked about the Old Testament narrative, it sort of ends with the Israelites in exile. They have been taken from their homeland and they've been taken captive and there's this longing to return home. But there's also this line that the king uh, still lives and there's this sense of hope because the promise that God made to David that there would always be a king on the throne, that promise then still stands. And so there's this sense of longing at the end of the Old Testament, but also a sense of hope. And um, while that's all true story, it's true history, I also think it's an almost symbolic reflection of the human condition, that we are all longing for home. And particularly as God's people, you know, we're told in the New Testament that we're citizens of heaven, that heaven is our home, and yet here we are on earth. And there's this longing for home within us. And, um, and while we can't physically see our king, we know that our king lives, and we hold on this hope for his return. And that's as Christians. But even if you look around the world, there's, it's pretty clear, I think, to see that there's this sense of longing, this sense of desire, this um, almost restlessness within people where everyone sort of has this desire for, for home, 
or for safety or for family or for love or for a leader or someone to save them or protect them or lead them and guide them. Like, whatever it is, there's this longing. And um, Tolkien, the, the writer of Lord of the Rings, you know, the great adventure of people who are sort of searching for something, longing for home, he says this, Certainly there was an Eden on this very unhappy earth. We all long for it, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole human nature, at its best and least corrupted, at its gentlest and most humane, is still soaked with a sense of exile. He writes that certainly there was an Eden, certainly there was a place of perfection on our earth that we are all longing for. And humanity, even at its very best, is still soaked in a sense of exile. Or, like Bono said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. A guy at the height of his career, making a difference, you know, doing great things, and he goes, I still haven't found it. There's still a sense of longing and a sense of desire. We never fully arrive home. We're never completely satisfied While on earth, there's always that taint of sin and evil. So we're all waiting. I guess the question this morning for us to wrestle with a little bit is, in that waiting, who or what are we actually waiting for? Who or what are we longing for to fulfill that desire, to fulfill that longing? Are you waiting for Jesus to fulfill that and to restore that and to bring that? Or are you waiting for something or someone else to satisfy that longing and desire in your heart and soul? You know, right at the end of the Bible, there's this uh, phrase in Revelation, Jesus, his last words, it says, surely I am coming soon. It's like the second last line in the Bible, surely I am coming soon. And, um, And the response of the writer, John, he says, Amen. Like, let it be. Let it happen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so I just imagine for you in your life, if Jesus came to you, I mean, he has through his Bible, but just imagine he came to you and said, surely I'm coming soon. What would your response be? Would it be like, yes, amen, bring it on, come, Lord Jesus. Like, as quick as you can would be great. Or would your response be probably more an honest response of our, how, we, how I would say it, at least, but it would be like, sounds great, but I've got a few things to do first. Like, if you can come after I get married or after I have kids or after I have a family or after I get to do that Europe trip or after I get to have that adventure or after I get to see my grandkids, after I get to enjoy my retirement that I've been working so hard to get to, Would any of us respond like that? Because I feel like if we're honest, I probably would. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Don't get me wrong. It's great to enjoy those things and they're gifts of God and, and all that. But if that's what we are waiting for, if that's where we go, actually, Jesus, yeah, but hold on. What does that reveal about our heart? What does that reveal about what we are truly trusting will satisfy and fulfill us. Surely the return of Jesus, I mean, 
a white horse, sword, warrior, guy, thug Jesus, I believe is what you said. Uh, that's a little bit scary for me, but, kind of, but surely we are longing for that return of restoration, that return of you know, putting an end to evil and restoring. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. Like Surely that's what we're longing for. Are you waiting for Jesus or have you replaced him with something else? Are you, feel, are you longing for something else that you believe deep down that something else will satisfy, something else will bring happiness or life? You know, may we hear those words of Jesus, I am coming soon, and that our response will be like, yes, Lord. You're the one we want. You're the one that we need. Trusting that he will satisfy, he will fulfill, and he will give life. Because that's really the heart of Simeon and Anna that we see in this story. There's a couple of lines that said they were waiting for the redemption or the consolation of Israel. Like they were waiting for God to redeem them, to restore them, to bring them back to their former glory. They sense this, this longing, this distance, I guess, this distance between their current situation and what God had promised them. That God had promised them that they were going to be a nation, that they were going to be fruitful, that they were growing, that they were going to be blessed by him. And then they were in this current situation of exile, of oppression, and far from home. But in that longing, in that distance, they believed that the Messiah, Jesus, was going to be the one to bring that back together. He was the one that they were waiting for. And so it's a simple question, but it's really, I think, a big, profound, deep question for us is do we have that same heart, that same longing that, you know what, I sense you know, the distance between our situation and what God has promised when he will restore all things and make things new. But do we actually believe that Jesus is the one to bring that together? Is that the person that we're longing for? In Romans 8, Paul uses this language. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. It says that our creation is groaning like we've felt those groaning pains in the last months, weeks, fires, droughts, earthquakes, you know, just desire, like our creation is groaning for our Savior's return. My question is, do we wait eagerly for God to redeem, for God to restore in his timing and in his way? Are you longing for the return of Jesus? Or are you waiting for something else to bring you life or satisfaction or hope, joy, peace, love? What are we waiting for? What are we believing will bring that in its fullest? Because that's really the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, which is super cliche, I know. But as soon as we add something else to the equation we begin to, one, distort the gospel, or two, water down the person of Jesus. As soon as we say, yeah, Jesus plus this 
Western lifestyle that we get to enjoy. Jesus plus my possessions, and like if, if life looks like this and have Jesus, then I'll have everything. We've distorted the gospel, and we've actually watered down the supremacy and the goodness and the sufficiency of Jesus. As soon as we add something else to the equation, whether it's prosperity, whether it is community, whether it is you know, doing good things or mission, like whatever it is, as soon as we add something, we begin to distort the gospel or water down Jesus. So we need to assess our hearts this morning and really ask ourselves, who or what are we waiting for? And I think maybe things will become a bit clearer as we look through the second part in terms of what does faithful waiting look like? Because here's the big thing for me with this, is that how we wait for Jesus reveals what we believe about Jesus. How we wait reveals what we believe. So I want to quickly just go through three things when it comes to waiting faithfully. And I didn't have time to make slides this morning, so you're going to have to pay extra attention, all right? So first one, the first thing we need to do if we're to wait faithfully is we need to make a decision. We need to make a decision. Is Jesus worth waiting for? The second thing, it is mundane. Waiting faithfully for Jesus is often mundane. And in that, what we, the question really for us to ask is, are we in it on God's terms or are we in it on our terms? Is it about us or is it about Jesus? And we'll look at that more in a moment. And then the third thing is that we wait faithfully in the Spirit. We see that in the life of Simeon and Anna. Are you trying to do it yourself or are you relying on God to do it for, with you? So that's where we're going. Is all on board? Sweet. All right, so first thing, if we are going to wait faithfully for Jesus, we need to make a decision. Let's look at Simeon. Simeon's this fascinating character, most likely an older, older man. Uh, it's sort of the language around let your servant depart in peace and things like that suggests that he's probably advanced in years. And it says that he's righteous and devout. I'm going to look at those words in a moment. But he's convinced that... Waiting for the Messiah is worth his time. Like, that's worth living for. He's there. He's ready. He's in the temple because he has to see this Messiah that's been promised. He has to go after it. He has to do that. And once he's done that, he goes, let your servant depart in peace. Like, what could be better than that? He's happy that he's seen God's promise fulfilled. And so I think the biggest key for us to wait faithfully is a belief and also a decision that Jesus is worth waiting for. You know, we read in that verse in Romans, Paul uses the language of childbirth, that, that the creation and, and we, it's sort of this image of birth pains, but then like on the other side of that pain is this joy of like newborn child, of birth, of life. You know? I don't know this for myself, but apparently you go through those pains, you go through that pregnancy, you go through that weight because you believe what's on the other side is worth it. And so just think about Simeon's life. I'm sure he had other options. I'm sure that there was a 
entertaining gladiator battle down the road, or I'm sure that his friends were having a great brunch on a Sunday morning, and yet he's chosen to be in the temple, to be ready, to be waiting, because he knows that seeing the Messiah is worth it. And it's super simple, but it's super key for our lives of making a decision, of deciding in our hearts and in our minds that waiting for Jesus is worth it. Because we are bombarded with options. We are bombarded with other things that we could do. And, and this language around decide is actually, I think, for me, it was super intentional about a decision. Because I think for many of us, we know it in our heads. We know it in theory. Yep, Jesus is worth waiting for. Cool, cool. But have we actually like made this decision, almost like this resolve and telling ourselves and renewing our minds and saying, you know what? Actually, yes, Jesus is worth waiting for. And so when the other options come up, when the other things seek to distract us or to pull us away, we're going, no, nah, no. Nah. I've decided, I've resolved, Jesus is the one I'm waiting for. Jesus is the one that's going to bring life. Jesus is the one who's going to bring fulfillment. He is the one that satisfies. And I have made that decision in my heart and in my mind that I'm waiting. Because there's other things that will come up. The other thing about decisions is that they are terribly hard. We live in a culture and a society that is terrible at making decisions. Maybe it's a... I mean, it's often talked about with like millennials and young people. But I think it's just our Western culture. We turn on Netflix... And we scroll and we scroll and we scroll, trying to find something worth watching. And after half an hour, we go back to the same show that we've already watched again. Or we go to Noxozone, let's go, let's have a meal. And uh, we do a, a lap, another lap. <laughs> and then we end up at the same restaurant ordering the same Roddy Chennai that you've had a million times. See, deciding is all about actually cutting off other options. It's making a decision. Um, I read this book over the, while I was away by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, it's called Just Do Something. And it's a um, really great book, really short, awesome read. Um, but it says this. He says, decide comes from the Latin word decider. Go figure. Um, but he says this Latin word, it means to cut off. The, Latin, the root word of decide means to cut off, which explains why decisions are so hard. We can't stand the thought of cutting off any of our options. And I read that, I was like, oosh. <laughs> See, if we're going to wait for Jesus, if we're going to hold on, if we're going to endure, if we're going to wait faithfully, we actually have to cut off some other options and actually decide that Jesus is worth waiting for. It might mean like Anna, we need to be in the temple night and day, not departing, praying, fasting, waiting for Jesus, whatever that looks like. On the other hand, it might mean that we need to cut off relationships or cut off career dreams or ambitions or our desire for these possessions or our desire for status or whatever it may be. And maybe the Holy Spirit will convict you on that and I'll let the Holy Spirit do that because he'll do a better job than I will. 
And maybe there just needs to be a reprioritization in your life, or maybe things need to actually be cut off. But no matter what, we need to make a decision that Jesus is worth waiting for. Because we believe he's totally worth it. That he's the one who's going to restore. He's the one that's going to bring life and joy and peace. Second thing about waiting faithfully is that it is often mundane. There is nothing fancy or glamorous or sexy about waiting. It is difficult work. It is slow. It is sort of hard. Whether it's sitting there waiting for a minute not knowing what you're going to get, or whether it's like the Israelites waiting for 400 years, whatever it is, it's difficult. And it's often the kind of life that we actively try to avoid. We live in a culture of sort of instant gratification. You want something, you can order it straight away. Bang, it's there, next day delivery. If you want to cook some food, well, you don't have to do all the prep. You just get two-minute noodles and fantastic. And yet time and time and again, we are given examples throughout the Bible of waiting and of this daily, mundane, simple and consistent commitment to Jesus. You know, Simeon was this man who was righteous and devout. Like, you know, we talked to the Romans that said no one is righteous. And yet here's someone who's he's righteous, which doesn't mean he's perfect, but does mean that he is uh, doing a reasonable job at obeying the law and being a good person under, you know, the law of God. And this word devout, it means this. The literal translation was taking hold of what is good. Focusing on the outward response someone gives to what they feel is truly worthwhile. So taking hold of what is good. The response someone gives to what they feel is truly worthwhile. Simeon is righteous and devout. And I'll tell you what, those are not character traits you earn in a day. Those are not things that someone says after they've known you for a week. Those are things that are developed in a lifetime. A consistent pattern of life. And unfortunately, I don't think devout is a character trait that many of us are aspiring to. It sounds a bit strict and religious and old-fashioned and a bit like, I don't know, I read devout, I was like, oh, that's a weird word. But I just feel more and more that that is what God is wanting to grow within us. A sense of people who are actually devoted, people who are actually committed over the long term, not just in a moment. See, the Israelites had to wait years and years for God to fulfill his promises. And you know what? Maybe we might have to as well. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And 2,000 years later, here we are. And maybe it's true in your own life. Maybe there's something that you are waiting for God to do in your life, a breakthrough or a fulfillment or you know, a changing of situations or a fulfillment of a promise or whatever it may be. We might be waiting for God to do something. And it might take some time. But when he does do that, when he does it in his perfect timing, like the, Scott, like the story Scott read, we'll 
Will the servants be ready and waiting when this master comes? When God comes in and steps in and does what he wants to do, will you be ready and waiting? You know, like for me, many of you probably know, I've been like waiting for a few years like for a relationship. Like that would be like, bang, that would be awesome, yeah? And thank you to all those who have been trying to set me up and do what different things. Um, but, you know, for me, I remember we watched this Andy Stanley series, uh, New Rules for Love, Sex and Dating. And he just shifted my mindset in terms of, oh, be the, per- what was his line? Be the person that you're waiting for is waiting for. Shifting your mindset in terms of, instead of focusing on what you're waiting for or who you might be waiting for, focus on becoming the person that you're waiting for is waiting for. And that totally shifted my mindset, totally shifted the focus. And I think it's the same for us with God in terms of like, don't just focus on what you're waiting for from God, but focus on becoming the kind of person that God would, is waiting for, to be waiting for. It makes more sense in my head. But, but the reality, like when God rocks up and maybe you have a big dream of like, you know what, I want to serve God overseas. I want to go be a missionary or something. And you've got that dream of doing that. But are you now becoming the person that God might call to that sort of task? Not saying that you have to have it all together, but are you just sitting back waiting passively? Like, I don't think that is the way that God has called us to wait, but to actively follow and pursue. And like for Simeon, here he is, and the Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, you're going to see the Messiah. And then taps him on the shoulder and says, today's the day, get to the temple. You know what I love is that that is not a shock to the system. That is not an odd step for him to take. Because he's a man who's righteous and devout. And so it's a natural step for him to go, oh, Spirit's talking to me? Yep, cool, I'm obeying. There's no question. I've got to go to the temple? Yeah, that's cool. I've been there before. I know where it is. It's another step in the same direction. Eugene Peterson, he says, discipleship is long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. It might take time. It might be often mundane and simple. Not always glamorous and glitzy and fancy, but that is the way God often transforms, is slowly, step by step. I mean, Anna is another example of a lady who's says she did not depart from the temple night and day. Like there is, like, there's nothing glamorous about that. <laughs> that is a hard commitment to maintain. But she's there day and night, praying, fasting. I mean, we did fasting with our young adults recently. Like, there's nothing glamorous about fasting. Your stomach is grumbling, you're complaining, you're grumpy, you're hangry. But it's like, this is what we do because we're waiting faithfully. God to rock up. So waiting faithfully is often mundane. We need to make a decision to do it, but the beautiful thing for us is that we don't do it alone. We do it with the Spirit by our side. It's especially clear in the story of Simeon, but it's also implicit in the story of Anna. The role of the Spirit is emphasized in Luke 2 here. It says that the Spirit was upon Simeon, the Spirit revealed to him the unique promise that he had to see the Messiah, and the Spirit led him to the temple to see Jesus. 
we're going to wait faithfully, we cannot do it in our own strength. The only way we do it is through God's strength, through his Holy Spirit. Because the reality is God has called us to wait differently to how the world waits. And so he's given us his spirit. Think about the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are all things you are going to need if you are to wait faithfully for Jesus. He hasn't called us to sort of wait, arms crossed, pouting, complaining, grumpy, like, God, come on, come on, come on, like, are we there yet, you sort of thing. Like, God's put a different spirit within us because he wants us to wait differently with a sense of joy and a sense of peace, a sense of gentleness and faithfulness. All things that we need, to, we need if we're going to wait faithfully. I mean, the New Testament talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And while that can be, you know, there's different interpretations about what all that looks like, and we don't have time to get into that this morning. Um, the simple truth is the Spirit gives gifts to the people of God for the encouragement and building up of the people of God. So the Spirit is going to work through each of us to build up us. So we need each other to wait faithfully. We need each person keeping his step with the Spirit, each person using their gifts to serve the church, to build it up, to encourage us to wait faithfully. And the beauty of the Spirit of God is that it dwells within us. We are not alone as we go through this wait. The Bible says, you know, God never leaves us, never forsakes us. In 2 Timothy, it says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. It's not by might, not by power, not by our wisdom, not by our church programs, not by anything else, but by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Because there's going to come a time when the master returns and he's going to look and ask and says, what have you done? And he's going to be looking for people who are ready, people who have been waiting faithfully for him to return. And waiting can often be a long time. As we heard a few weeks ago with Andrew, you preached on Joseph, the many detours that he had. He had a dream that God had given him. And he gets thrown into a pit. He becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. He gets locked in prison. Then eventually he gets to the palace. And then his dream has come true. Think about Moses. Moses, the great leader of the Israelites. He spent 40 years in the wilderness. Waiting for a moment when he finally just happened across a burning bush. And that's when God called him after waiting for years. Think about Jesus. I mean, a miraculous birth story. We read later in Luke 2 that he was in the temple at age 12. He had great knowledge. He was able to teach. And yet, what does he do for the next 30 years? I mean, we don't know exactly. There's no, but as far as we know, he's a carpenter's son. He's doing the trade. And then finally he gets baptised. 
Spirit descends like a dove. You think, okay, now it's time for his ministry. What happens? Driven to the wilderness. 40 days. Then he begins his ministry. And you think, okay, after all that years of preparation, he's there for three years ministering. Are you better than Joseph or Moses? Are you better than Jesus? (laughs) You might have a bit of waiting in your life. We might be waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to return, waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Will we wait faithfully? Cutting off our other options. In it for the mundane, because it's not about us and whether we look good, but it's about Jesus and waiting faithfully according to how he's called us to wait. And will we do it in his spirit, trusting that God will give us what we need for how he's called us to live? So we're going to sing this song, and I'll invite the music team up. We're going to finish with this song. It's a bit of a throwback. It's just like, for me, Reverb 2008, like, man, these are the days. Um, this song's called Hungry. And it's simple, but there's depth to it, because the reality is, like I said before, we're all hungry. We're all waiting for something. Yes, I'm a little bit keen for lunch, but... We're waiting for something. We're longing for something. But would it be, would we just in this song just say, you know what? Hungry, but I come to you. I come to Jesus knowing that he satisfies. And what I love about the song is that the pre-chorus it just says, it says all this truth about who God is and that we're waiting. And then it just says, so I wait. It's just saying, you know what? I'm going to wait for God. He's going to rock up. He's going to do his thing in his timing. In his perfect plan. And so I'm going to wait. Knowing that Jesus is the one we live for. We'd fall on our knees and we'd wait faithfully for him in worship and praise. So let's stand and let's sing.